wonder why the Pentagon would send a full bird colonel down here to handle this. The Army thought I might be able to help. <laughs> well, I don't know in what way. Rambo's a civilian now. He's my problem. I don't think you understand. I didn't come here to rescue Rambo from you. I came here to rescue you from him. Well, we all appreciate your concern, Colonel. And we'll try to be extra careful. I'm just amazed that he allowed any of your posse to live. Is that right? Strictly speaking, he slipped up. You're lucky to be breathing. That's just great. Colonel, you came out here to find out why one of your machines blew a gasket. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. With a man who's the best. With guns, with knives, with his bare hands. A man who's been trained to ignore pain. Ignore weather. To live off the land. To eat things and to make a billy goat puke. In Vietnam, his job was to dispose of enemy personnel. To kill. Period. Win by attrition. Well, Rambo was the best. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. Open up with that clip from the movie First Blood, Rambo Part 1. First Blood is what it was called, regardless. You know, I'm watching the news as I'm uh, leaving to go to the radio studio on uh, on Friday morning, and I'm seeing the search for this Robert Card guy, a former military guy that shot up, uh, killed 18 people in, uh, in Maine at a bowling alley and uh they're searching for him and they're and i'm looking at the at the scene of uh hundreds of policemen going into the forest to search for this guy and they're and i'm listening to dog the bounty hunter talk about uh hey this guy is a military trained guy you should take the police out of it send in the marines uh because this guy has military training and the marines are far far better trained than the uh than the police and uh and I just go, this looks like a scene from Rambo. And uh, so I know that Robert Card is not the best in guerrilla warfare. And I know that he's not, uh, it was never deployed and he probably didn't have the same kind of training that Rambo did. But I just thought it looked like a scene from Rambo as they're all going after, hey, they're getting ready to, to go underwater in this lake and and uh, check out the boats that he has to, you know, where did he get away to? 
just seemed like a scene from Rambo, so I thought you'd uh, enjoy that. By the time you hear this show, hopefully he's caught, and hopefully he's uh, sent to meet his maker. Well, I'm sure he's not going to meet his maker. He's going to meet meet some guy in uh, in another place than where uh, God lives. Uh, that song was Crossfire from Kansas from the Vinyl Confessions album uh, when John Elfonte was a lead singer. Um, I thought that was fitting with what we're going to talk about, what's going on with uh, Israel and Hamas, Israel and Palestine, and people are caught in the crossfire, and they're and they're they're stuck in between what they see is right and what they see is popular, and what they see, you know, what the public cry out for ceasefire, and the logical look at say, hey, Israel has to do what they have to do. Israel's responsible to uh, to their people and to God, and there's no living in peace there. But, uh, but I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that and everything that's going on in this this past weekend. This was an eventful week. This was an eventful week uh, in uh, in our country. And but before I do, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll free. Area code 855-640-2020. If you want to talk about real estate or financing, but you don't want to talk on the phone just yet because it's so personal, or you're at work and you don't want, you know, who goes to work anymore? Everybody's working at home. But uh, let's suppose that you're one of those people that works for Elon Musk or you're, or you're working for uh, someplace where you have to go to work and you don't want your neighbor to hear it. Go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo, do the uh, and we'll do the cyber thing. Put in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from myself or one of my talented teammates. We'll help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Um, if there's any part of the show you want repeated or you missed it when it was on the radio, you can get the, the podcast on edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page. You can hear this show as well as several past shows. You can also get the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, uh, also known as Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe for free and have it automatically download once a week. I record on Friday mornings, uh, uploads Friday afternoon, it'll download shortly thereafter, and you can listen to it on demand whenever it's convenient for you. If you have comments on the show, you can you can email your comments to ed at edhoffman.net. And uh, sometimes I respond, and sometimes I'll respond on the radio. And uh, sometimes I just take your advice or your compliments or your insults and uh, stick them in my, uh, in my bag of, uh, of ideas. So anyway, let's talk about what's going on in the world and in the United States. The Middle East is still in chaos, as we all know. And we're going to talk about our government's response to it this week. As of Wednesday, Benjamin Netanyahu had agreed to delay Israel's ground invasion of Gaza until we, the United States, can safely get our hostages out. Ten that we know of, according to the National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. Uh, it doesn't look like that's going to ha- that's happening now because Israel is uh, bulldozing Hamas's targets and conducting airstrikes uh, to make way for the ground invasion. So things are escalating, not e- not de-escalating. Um, when asked about this on Wednesday in his first press conference since the conflict began, when asked about this on Wednesday in his first press conference since the conflict began, President Biden took no credit for Bibi's decision. In other words, he took no clear action to protect our hostages from a ground invasion. Have you sought assurances from him that he will hold off 
on a ground invasion into Gaza until the safe relief release of the hostages can be assured. No. What I have indicated to him is that if that's possible to get these folks out safely, that's what he should do. It's their decision. But I did not demand it. I pointed out to him, if it's real, it should be done. Obviously, they're in jeopardy. The question is whether or not there's any way of getting them out. And if we can get them out, we should get them out. Yeah, well, he doesn't have the strength to make any demands. Um, he's he, he shows no strength on doing anything. And basically, I think Bibi Netanyahu just gives him respect out of obligation and knows when he's uh, when he's when he's talking to to Biden, he's uh, talking to an empty suit with Democrats in Congress pressuring Biden to facilitate a ceasefire in exchange for the release of all 200 hostages, Israeli and American reporters asked him about this on Monday and his answer was uh, indecisive. Supporting the hostages for a ceasefire deal? Why did you? We should, get, we should have a ceasefire. It's not a ceasefire. We should have the hostages released, and then we can talk. Yeah, we should have a ceasefire. No, we should have the the hostages released, and then we can talk about a ceasefire. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, uh, am I supposed to go out this way? Uh, when can I? How fast can I get out of out of camera angle? Uh, 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 is it lunchtime yet? So it was up to John Kirby to clean up that mess in a press briefing on Tuesday. That is a question for the Israeli Defense Forces. They get to make the decisions about what operations they're going to conduct or not. Uh, we don't believe that uh, a ceasefire right now um, is is uh, what we would believe that a ceasefire right now is only going to benefit Hamas. Yeah, I don't disagree with him, and uh, but you have to believe that social media is feeding into everything, uh, everyone's indecision because everyone's looking at at social media, and you've got so many, so many college kids, so many airheads, so many uh, indoctrinated idiots out there posting on Instagram uh, and Telegram and all these things about uh, the evil of Israel when they don't know squat about what they're what they're talking about. And I noticed um, based on what my wife's watching on Facebook, um, all these all these gross films, of filming babies dying and people are posting the these these pictures or these videos and they're blaming it on Israel. So anyone who's watching anybody who isn't informed is watching this stuff and they say Israel caused this and look at all these babies dying. Hey, you know what? This is how Hamas works. This is how they work. They post stuff that they did. It's just like the Democrats. They they collude with the Russians to uh, to for election interference, and then they accuse Donald Trump of it. And this is the same thing that that the uh, that the terrorists in the Middle East do. They they kill babies, they kill people, then film it and post it on social media, and say it was the good guys that did it. So here's what's perplexing about this. This time Biden is unsure about when to t- when to back a ceasefire. But two years ago, he took all the credit for making a ceasefire happen. Let's go back to May 2021, the last time there was a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas after 11 days of fighting. And remember, this was two years ago. Two years ago, the same stuff was going on. So why should we back a ceasefire to begin with? 
because Hamas is always going to keep attacking Israel. But anyway, in the press conference at that time, Biden bragged that he was the one who made the truce happen, even though it was widely reported as being brokered by the government of Egypt. Regardless, Biden claimed that he made the ceasefire happen in 11 days, comparing it to 2008 ceasefire, also brokered by Egypt, which took more than six months. And listen to not only what Biden says, listen to the energy in his voice just two years ago. One of the reasons why we're able to get the ceasefire in 11 days, they didn't do what other people have done. I don't talk about what I tell people in private. I don't talk about what we negotiate in private. But I can assure you, though, is that the last time it took 56 days and then six months to get a ceasefire. Yeah, I don't talk about what I tell people in private, certainly not my son or his business associates or, uh, you know, other leaders of the world that are going to send money to my LLC so you don't know about it. I don't talk about that. And when people ask me if I ever talked about it, I deny it. I never talked to my son or anybody else about this stuff. Anyway, let's get back to uh, what we're talking about today. The backstory on this from the New York Post, Biden's in the press conference. Biden said in that press conference that he spent a lot of time on the phone with Egyptian President el-Sisi to make the deal happen. But the White House has disclosed only one call between Biden and el-Sisi hours before the ceasefire was adopted. Still, Biden told reporters that his own humility was the key to striking the deal. Really? Just like he told everyone that uh, he graduated with three degrees and at the top of his class in, in college. Back to this week. Biden is trying to play both sides card on Israel versus Palestine by wagging his finger at the Israelis protecting themselves from the press conference on Wednesday. Israelis and Palestinians equally deserve to live side by side in safety, dignity and peace. There's no going back to the status quo as it stood on October the 6th. There has to be a vision of what comes next. And in our view, it has to be a two state solution. And one more word on this. I continue to be alarmed about extremist settlers attacking Palestinians in the West Bank, that uh, pouring gasoline on fire is what it's like. They have to be held accountable and it has to stop now. Yeah, they equally deserve to live side by side. Well, that's not what the Palestinians think, or at least that's not what Hamas thinks. And of course, if the Palestinians, if the Palestinian peaceful civilians, uh, we're in agreement with uh, with Biden that they both deserve to, to live uh, peacefully. Then they should stand up against Hamas, up against the against the terrorists within their within their Muslim faith that live there, and take them down before Israel comes in and and they might be caught in the crossfire there. But Biden's biggest problem this week. His press secretary. Listen to what Karine Jean Pierre, the spokesperson for what the White House White House's official positions, said when she was asked about how the anti-Israel misinformation is leading to rampant anti-Semitism across America right now. What is his level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel? So a couple of things. Um, look. Um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats. Uh, and so I uh, just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. And certainly President Biden understands that many of our Muslim Arab 
Arab Americans and Palestinian American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed at their communities. And so uh, one of the things that the president has done is directed his team, uh, uh, Homeland Security team, to prioritize prevention uh, and disruption of any emerging threats that could harm the Jewish, the Muslim, uh, Arab Americans, or, or any other communities. Yeah, wasn't the question about anti-Semitism, meaning anti-Jewish uh, attacks? Why is it that the answer was all about anti-Muslim and anti-Arab attacks? I don't know. It just seems to me like uh, there's a different agenda going on between uh, the American public, the American media, and uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre. And, uh, and of course, as Corinne Jean-Pierre is supposed to be, uh, what she says, supposed to be equal to what Biden says. So apparently... Uh, Apparently, the social media is leading them to worry about what the kids say. Believe it or not, there was actual media backlash for this answer from Politico. During the briefing on Monday, Jean-Pierre said White House had not seen any credible threats when asked about the administration's level of concern about increasing anti-Semitism. She went on to address hate-fueled attacks against Muslim and Arab Americans. The response received backlash online, including one Democratic lawmaker who slammed the weak answer in a post on X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, what a weak answer, Representative Jared Moskowitz, Democrat from Florida, who is Jewish, posted. Really? You, you think Moskowitz is Jewish? Uh, the simple answer is yes. You are concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism. Of course, we are also worried about the hatred against Muslim Americans. Must do better. I would have said, hey, pull your head out of your butt. Not a must do better. So KJP, right before she gave the answer about anti-Muslim attacks, which no one asked about, said, we have not seen any credible threats of anti-Semitism. Oh, really? From Reuters this week. Anti-Semitic incidences in the United States rose by about 400% since October 7th, according to the Anti-Defamation League. The data showed 312 reported U.S. anti-Semitic incidences October 7th to October 23rd, including physical assault, violent online messages, and rallies There was where there was a explicit or strong implicit support for Hamas and or violence against Jews in Israel. All this backlash forced KJP to walk back the next day and claim she misheard the question. Because I understand how important uh, moral clarity is, especially at this time. So when Jews are targeted because of their beliefs or their identity, when Israel is singled out because of anti-Jewish hatred, that is anti-Semitism. And that is unacceptable. There's no place for anti-Semitism, full stop, period. This is important to the president. It's important to me personally and to everyone in the administration. Following the Hamas terror attacks in Israel, which were the deadliest for Jews since the Holocaust, the president has been consistent and clear. We must all do our part and forcefully, forcefully speak out against anti-Semitism. Wow. Why didn't she just say, oops, I got caught. I got caught. So let me say the standard thing. Uh, Anti-Semitism is very important to Joe Biden and the entire and the entire uh, cabinet. And we're going to do everything in the power of the federal government to stop it and make sure it never happens again. You know, I'm going to call BS on her on all her comments. Now, let's get even more specific. How's this for credible threats? October 15th, a man punched 29-year-old woman in the face in New York City's Grand Central Terminal. 
The woman told NYPD officers that when she asked him why she why he attacked her, she said, quote, you're Jewish, unquote. That sounds like anti-Semitism. From October 7th through this week, the messaging platform Telegram has seen 1,000% increase in daily average of violent messages mentioning Jews in Israel in white supremacist and extremist channels. Imagine if there was a thousand increase in messages about just about anything and it was coming from Trump supporting groups. There'd be a, a huge uproar across the country. October 20th, outside the New York Public Library, a pro-Palestinian rally sponsored by Democratic Socialists of America, you know, that's uh, Bernie Sanders people, uh, resulted in 139 arrests of hostile demonstrators shouting anti-Semitic chants. And the left isn't even trying to claim peaceful protests this time. The Anti-Defamation League says there have been nearly 400 anti-Israel rallies across America since October 7th. And October 21st, 40-year-old Samantha Wool, a leader at Isaac Agree Synagogue in Detroit was stabbed to death outside her outside her home. Uh, that sounds like anti anti-Semitic as well. On Thursday this week, Marjorie Taylor Greene spoke in front of the House of Representatives, uh, introducing a formal resolution to censure anti-Semitic remarks and anti-Semitic actions of Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. And it's about if you if you follow me on Facebook, I posted the whole speech, but let's just play the a little piece of this about two minutes long. Whereas Rashida Tlaib led an insurrection at the United States Capitol complex on October 18th, 2023, which put members of Congress, their staffs and Capitol visitors in danger by shutting down elevators, stairwells and points of egress while obstructing official business in both the House of Representatives and the Senate, including a for Senate Foreign Affairs Committee hearing. Whereas the insurrection led by Rashida Tlaib was organized by Jewish Voice for Peace, which the Anti-Defamation League calls a radical anti-Israel activist group that advocates for a complete economic, cultural, and academic boycott of the state of Israel, and that believes Israeli policies and actions are motivated by deeply rooted Jewish racial chauvinism and religious supremacism. Whereas members of the Southern Poverty Law Center, a far left nonprofit organization, were present at the insurrection at the Capitol on October 18, 2023. Whereas several insurrectionists at the Capitol belong to a group messaging chat called Global Intifada, which is the Arabic word for rebellion or uprising and refers to a series of protests and violent riots carried out by Palestinians and Israel during the last century. Whereas by leading an anti-American and anti-Semitic insurrection on October 18th, 2023, Rashida Tlaib followed Hezbollah's orders to carry out a day of unprecedented anger following an explosion at a Gazan hospital lying about Israel's responsibility for the attack, which United States intelligence agencies said was not perpetrated by Israel. Well, imagine any of this stuff happened during Donald Trump when Donald Trump was in office. Imagine, imagine what, what happened. Wait, there was a, there was a insurrection, what they called it at the Capitol on January 6, 2021. And all these people that, 
all these people. You had a handful of Antifa guys that that went in to the Capitol. Of course, the Capitol Police and all the all the security there opened the door and said, "Come on in." And a handful of guys broke some windows and uh, made some big loud remarks while Trump supporters were were saying, "Don't break windows! No, that's not what we're about." And I don't know, 1,100 people were arrested. And all you hear about in uh, the mainstream media is how all these people pleaded guilty. Well, I can tell you from the people that I know that were involved in that, they, they, the, the government takes all of our tax money and goes after these guys and, and charges them with felonies. And when these normal citizens that don't have an unlimited budget run out of money, they say, okay, I'll plead guilty to a misdemeanor. And so I don't have to go to jail. And because I don't have any more money to defend myself. And they say, look at all these people pled guilty to these misdemeanors. Just like the lawyers that, that were involved in the election interference case of Donald Trump. That's what happens when it's Trump. And we'll see what comes of this, uh, of this resolution introduced by Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I'll tell you that, Speech is one of the reasons Marjorie Taylor Greene, crazy lady, is still one of my heroes in Congress. Hey, I'm all out of time for this uh, half of the main event, so stay tuned for five minutes. Traffic, weather, commercials, and sports, and I'll be right back. Part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about real estate and financing on the radio, but I talk a lot about it when I'm not on the radio. If uh, if you're if you're curious about what you could be doing, what you should be doing in regards to your uh, your real estate holdings, your real estate purchases that you'd like to make, your real estate uh, refinancing that you'd like to do, uh, maybe uh, rearranging some of your debt, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020 or go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo and we'll do the cyber thing. So before the break, I was talking about uh, all the stuff going on in Israel and, uh, and Palestine and our government's reaction to it. So uh, as, I, as I mentioned that uh, right before that, imagine if all this stuff was happening, all this anti-Semitic stuff was going on. Imagine if the insurrection, all that stuff was going on when President Trump was, was uh, president and how it, would be, how, how it would have been treated so much differently in social media, in the mainstream media, in everywhere, and instead we're seeing the uh, the misled, the misinformed, the uninformed, the the morons that go to college, indoctrinated by the Democrats, how they're reacting to it, and it's just disgusting on social media. And for that reason, I say social media is evil that's destroying our country. Um, and speaking of Donald Trump, Donald Trump addressed Biden's handling of this conflict at a campaign rally in New Hampshire this week. To every American who's terrified that Crooked Joe's weakness will cause catastrophic global conflict, <laughs> excuse me, it already is. I make this promise to you as president 
I will restore peace through strength and we will prevent, we will stop World War III. World War III will be an obliteration. It'll be something like nobody's ever seen before. And we have a man that's not capable. He's not capable. This guy's in charge of the most dangerous time in our history. He's in charge of it. If you will not enforce sanctions against Iran, then you do not stand with Israel. It's that simple. By the time I left, they had nothing. They were broke. They were broke. The Iranian regime could barely afford to turn out the lights. The minute I'm back in the White House, not only will I impose the most crippling sanctions in history, we will also unleash the most powerful economic weapon. We will drill, baby, drill. Drill, baby, drill. Yeah, looking back on what Trump's talking about, hey, when he left, the Iranians had nothing. They couldn't, they could barely afford, I think he meant to say, turn on the lights. Um, but you know, they were, they were, they were hurting. The Russians were hurting, you know, they, we were producing, uh, energy and the Russians weren't able to sell theirs. He stopped the Nord Stream 2 pipeline from, from, uh, taking energy from Russia down to, to Germany and, uh, providing, providing energy to the, that part of Europe. And we were in good shape, kind of what. Reagan did to stop the Soviet Union by driving the price of oil down because if the price of oil is down, the Russians don't have any money. They can't cause any problems. And, you know, as long as you give them money, they're going to cause problems. Hence, Biden opened up uh, Nord Stream 2 pipeline, gave him permission to open that up, and he stopped production in the United States. Hurt the United States, helped Russia, gave them money to start a war in Ukraine. Then he, uh, then he, uh, had an exception to the to the sanctions on Iran and opened up six billion dollars to them. Only can use it for medicine and uh, and food, but that freed up all the money they were going to spend on medicine and food, so they could start a war in Israel by supporting Hamas in Palestine. Uh, so a lot of people seem to be taking a look back, and you know hindsight is twenty twenty. It's it's really clear. When you go back and look back behind you, what happened? It's really, you know, the history is really clear as opposed to when you're going through it and you're complaining about Donald Trump is this and Donald Trump is that. And it's so, and it's just, you know, this guy is just disgusting and we can't have him. Here's something else that caught my attention this past week. This is a billionaire Democrat donor. His name is Chamath Palahapatia. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that pronunciation against anybody else's. I think Palahapatia sounds like uh, exactly how it's spelled. So his name's Chamath. Um, he's a Democrat donor. He's a billionaire. I hadn't heard of him before either. One of you guys out there that listens to me forwarded me this video, and when I play it, um, I'm sure he didn't play it with the Star Spangled Banner playing in the back, but somebody thought this was such a good uh, speech that they they put some music behind it. Um, he's a, he's a successful venture capitalist, which means he's got lots of money and he knows how to, he's a, one of those guys like on Shark Tank, except for he's probably real instead of just on a uh, reality TV. He's one of the first executives at Facebook. He admits he was wrong about President Trump and I doubt he's alone in that. This is the honest assessment. The guy did for the things that he was supposed to do a good job and for where every other president found a way to frankly make our situation a little bit worse, specifically around wars, he did not do that. And that is a 
huge accomplishment that I think needs to be acknowledged. As a Democrat who has been left homeless, who is now definitely in the center, but probably leaning increasingly right, I'm left yet again with an appreciation, despite the messenger of the message of the Trump administration, because what those guys did was pretty incredible in hindsight. These Abraham Accords, the Accords with Israel and the GCC, the almost accord between Israel and Saudi, to really be able to like find a long lasting peace is just a real example for the world. And you know, those guys did a lot of really good work. And it's it's a miracle actually when you when you look at it. What they did, yeah. you know, despite the fact, listen, I'm no fan of Trump and I am too homeless. But this is where it's a political party. But if you but want to objectively is, look at what they did, it was you good to. work. It was you great have work. To. You have yeah. to. And in fact, this is a moment where you have to start to re-underwrite like is one's Trump derangement syndrome causing more damage than anything that Trump could have actually done? And I think the answer is yes, because like it's now causing us to not see that good work and then embrace and extend it. So much of the work that happened in that administration turns out to have been right. And that's what's so frustrating for me. The work on the border wall, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. Turned out it was right. Issuing long-term debt to refinance when rates were at zero, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. A structural piece in the Middle East, we didn't like the messenger, so we killed the message. When are we gonna stop shooting ourselves in the foot? And when are we going to yeah, actually I mean, see and take the time to look past who is saying things and actually listen to them word for word? Amazing. That vi that video should go viral and it should be titled Buyer's Remorse or maybe title it Coming Out of the Ether because clearly the Democrats are under the influence of something. They need to come out of the ether and wake up. Wake up and smell the coffee. So anyway, let's talk about what happened in the United States this week. The speaker saga has drawn to a dramatic conclusion, and it's been a wild week. We started with nine Republicans most of us have never heard of, and thankfully we don't have to run down each of their bios, although I was prepared to if we didn't have a new speaker. Uh, that's because Republicans held four days of closed-door meetings. It's very quickly, it very quickly dwindled down from nine candidates to four, to two, and to one. And on Wednesday, we got a new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson of Louisiana. It's the first time in a long damn time that I've seen the Republicans all vote the same way on anything. So who is, re who is Representative Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House? He was first elected in, to the House in 2016 to serve as vice chairman of the House Republican Conference as well as the majority deputy whip. Now, if you're like me, you may be asking, isn't Steve Scalise the majority whip? No, Steve Scalise used to be the majority whip when, or the min minority whip when Kevin McCarthy was in charge of the minority when uh, Nancy Pelosi was the Speaker of the House. But everybody moved up when we took control. So Steve Scalise is now the majority leader. That means he's the chief spokesman for the Republicans. The, rep the majority whip is Tom Emmer of Minnesota, who was also nominated for speaker for about four hours this week, before withdrawing himself from consideration and backing Mike Johnson. The whip's job is to enforce or di uh, is the enforcer of discipline 
in the party. They're supposed to make sure that members are voting according to the party platform, which means uh, basically Steve Scalise was doing a crap job at that, and it sounds like Tom Emmer was doing a crap job at that as well. So when it so when it uh, when it looks like someone wants to stray too far from the Republican Party platform, the whip is supposed to caucus with them and attempt to set them straight. That's a bummer. As we all know, Democrats do a great job on this on their side. Most of the time, they don't even need the whips to get involved because they all just drink the Kool Aid and whatever uh, Nancy Pelosi or uh, Hakeem Jeffries says. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. They just march into place like a bunch of of uh, robots. As ma- as majority deputy whip, Mike Johnson rolls to be an assistant to Tom Emmer in his role as whip. So that's a lesson for those of us who get re- confused by all these leadership roles. More on Mike Johnson's background. He's an attorney with a with a focus on constitutional law. He entered politics in Louisiana State House before his election to Congress. He's a strong backer of Trump. When the election was called for Biden in November on November 7th, 2020, Johnson tweeted out, I have just called President Trump to say this. Stay strong and keep fighting, sir. The nation is depending on your resolve. We must exhaust every available legal remedy to restore Americans' trust in the fairness of our election system. Did he say we should restore America's trust to keep uh, Donald Trump in office? No, in the fairness of our election system. He was the first to sign a statement from 37 Republicans who voted to sustain the objection to the electoral votes on January 6, 2020, 2021, I'm sorry, uh, regarding the 2020 election. I like that, of course, because I, too, believe the, the election was stolen by the Democrats. I didn't forget that at three o'clock in the morning we were all watching the watching the ratings go. Trump has this. Look how far ahead. He's 300,000 votes ahead in Michigan. He's 300,000 votes ahead in in Wisconsin. He's 300,000 votes ahead in Pennsylvania. And then we went to sleep, and about five hours later, at 5 o'clock in the morning, we woke up to see something completely different. We'd never seen seen them stop counting that close to the end and say, okay, we're going to take a break, go have a nap, and we're going to start back in five hours. Because if they did, they would have let everybody go home and and sleep for a few hours and come back. But they couldn't have driven home and got back and started counting in the cuz in 5 hours later all of a sudden the whole the whole thing looked different. Biden was ahead or neck and neck with him in all those swing states. So before anything occurred at the at the Capitol that morning on January 6th, Mike Johnson tweeted, "We must fight for election integrity." the Constitution, and the preservation of our republic. It will be my honor to help lead that fight in Congress today. Well, to me, I like that about Mike Johnson. And while I had never been conscious of of his leadership until this week, and I start seeing all this stuff, I like what I see so far. And of course, the number one indicator that Mike Johnson is fit to be Speaker, the mainstream media started attacking him within hours of him taking the gavel. The New York Times post uh, uh, put in the, in the New York Times, Johnson played a leading role in the effort to overturn the 2020 election. Representative Mike Johnson recruited House Republicans to back a lawsuit to overturn the results, and he was the key architect of his party's objections to certifying President Biden's victory. Well, probably because President Biden didn't have a victory. Vanity Fair posted, Mike Johnson tried to help 
Donald Trump steal an election. He's now Speaker of the House. And on CNN, why Trump is so happy about the new House Speaker. So the left has a new boogeyman, and his name is Mike Johnson. Trump chimed in on Truth Social. He posted, Congressman to Congressional Republicans. He posted, Congratulations to Congressional Republicans. Yesterday was a big and very important day. It gave us a quick and easy way forward with five candidates who are beyond reproach and represent the absolute best there is in the Republican Party. Even the fake news media is impressed with what took place yesterday, and more importantly, the ultimate winner was Mike Johnson. Yesterday's vote by significant margin, Mike Johnson of Louisiana. So far, all I've heard and all I've seen about Michael Johnson, I like. Let's hear from the new speaker. Thank you all. I want to thank uh, Leader Jeffries. I do look forward to working with you on behalf of the American people. I know we see things from very different points of view, but I know that in your heart you love and care about this country and you want to do what's right. And so we're going to find common ground there. All right. I want to uh, express my great thanks for our Speaker Emeritus, Kevin McCarthy. To my colleagues, I I want to thank you all for the trust that you have instilled in me to lead us in this historic an unprecedented moment that we're in. The challenge before us is great, but the time for action is now, and I will not let you down. It's the beauty of America that allows a a firefighter's kid like me to come here and serve in this sacred chamber where great men and women have served before all of us and strive together to build and then preserve what Lincoln did refer to as the last best hope of man on earth. We stand at a very dangerous time. I'm stating the obvious. We all know that. The world is in turmoil. But a strong America is good for the entire world. I want to tell all my colleagues here what I told the Republicans in that room last night. I don't believe there are any coincidences in a matter like this. I believe that Scripture, the Bible, is very clear. that, That God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you. All of us. And and I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment in this time. I believe that each one of us has a huge responsibility today to use the gifts that God has given us to serve the extraordinary people of this great country, and they deserve it, and to ensure that our republic remains standing as the great beacon of light and hope and freedom in a world that desperately needs it. Well, well, I think uh, Mike Johnson's acceptance speech was pretty standard, pretty anything that you could have written for anybody. Um, I remind everybody, the Speaker of the House is not the President of the United States. But Johnson, after putting out the, the first basic remarks out there, he also stated right away where the Congress needs to be stand on both Israel and on our border. We're going to show not only Israel, but the entire world that the barbarism of Hamas that we have all seen play out on our television screens is wretched and wrong, and we are going to stand for the good in that conflict. We, We have a catastrophe at our southern border. The Senate and the White House can no longer ignore the problem. From Texas to New York, wave after wave of Illegal migrants are stressing our communities to their breaking points. We, we know that our streets are being flooded with fentanyl and all of our communities, children, and even adults are dying from it. 
The status quo is unacceptable. Inaction is unacceptable, and we must come together and address the broken border. We have to do it. Well, did well, well, did he say that the border crisis is from Texas to New York? I think uh, I think he lives on the wrong side of Texas, and he forgot about California. Maybe it's because California, we've just been living with this crap uh, for years before Biden came in, but the crisis is all across this country, and especially in California. Now, in addition to the fact that we have 21 days before another government shutdown, here's what the new speaker has to contend with. The $105 billion supplemental aid package announced by Biden last week. You know, when he used our support for Israel to get another $61 billion for Ukraine. You know, $13 billion to help the border agents get migrants into the country faster. $7 billion for Taiwan and only $14 billion for Israel. Which is pathetic enough in itself. But I have to ask, why do we have to spend any of this money on other countries besides our southern border? And you know what? And I want to point out that as everyone's pointing at, at Mike Johnson, Mike Johnson, you know what? What the Speaker of the House does is 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 kind of direct the direction of the House of Representatives in what direction they're gonna they're gonna take. They're uh, and the House of Representatives can't do anything by themselves. They have to get the Senate to agree to it and the President to agree with it. So what they do is stop the president from doing things that are not in our best interest. So I don't get too much too much uh, excited about the Speaker of the House. We should be putting that putting that uh, uh, that responsibility on the president of the United States, which we've got a year to to put in. I do like that Mike Johnson will stand up, stand up to the to the Democrats better than uh, than uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy did. Republicans are hoping to see a pack, the package broken up. After all, Biden has to ask Congress to approve it, and this thing isn't set in stone yet. Let's see if Johnson can lower those lower those numbers of spending a lot, or if he's going to cave into Biden, Schumer, and Jeffries like McCarthy did. Here's Majority Whip Tom Emmer, who withdrew from the, the race to back Johnson. He seems to think Johnson will make Biden, Schumer, and Jeffries follow the Republican majority, not the other way around. We've had some challenging times around here these last few weeks, but our country has endured challenging times before. And I have zero doubt that we will again. Not only will we survive, we're going to come out stronger and better because of it. And the American people can be rest assured that with Speaker Mike Johnson at the helm, our House Republican majority will keep fighting to unapologetically stand with Israel, rein in Washington's reckless spending, secure our border, and force the Biden White House and Schumer Senate along with us as we govern. And wrapping up this entire speaker saga with some final thoughts, here's Majority Leader Steve Scalise. You know, if you think about what's happened these last three weeks, while a lot of people outside of Washington talk about dysfunction, this great group men and women behind me have been talking about how to fix what's broken in Washington. And hasn't that discussion been coming for way too long? That's what this last three weeks has been about. That's what we have been struggling through. That's what we've been working towards. And we resolved it today by electing Mike Johnson as our next speaker. For those people that don't know Mike Johnson, maybe they're looking to Google, maybe they're looking to other places. But those of us who have known Mike Johnson for a long time, 
I've seen a commitment to things bigger than himself going back to my days in the State House and when he came to Congress. Those same principles followed him. His belief, his faith that drives him so deeply that some actually mock him for. Those are the principles that cause people who believe in freedom all around the world to look up at that Statue of Freedom as a beacon of hope for all around the world. And what Mike Johnson is gonna do for, for us and our country, getting us back on track. We are just getting started, but people are gonna come to know and love what he represents because he fights for things bigger than himself and people who have been ignored for way too long. Now, let me give you my concluding thoughts on the last three weeks. Um, as we look back on this last three weeks, um, part of me says, while I agree with Matt Gates in all the reasons that he made the, uh, the motion to vote on getting rid of Kevin McCarthy, I have to say, hey, maybe you should have had this thought out a little bit more. So a little bit more clearly, maybe get some support of some people and have a plan in place rather than just get rid of Kevin McCarthy and have no plan for who's going to who's going to take that. Have got nobody on your side, uh, no support for the next step. While I think that was poorly planned, history will show whether Matt Gates is considered a, a, a loose cannon or whether he's considered a hero because he started the movement that got rid of the weak suck, Kevin McCarthy, and brought in Mike Johnson. And that will only show based on Mike Johnson's performance uh, going forward and whether he actually stands up. And, of course, in in uh, just a short time, we look at a potential government shutdown um, if they don't agree on some financial things in the budget. And in my opinion, Kevin McCarthy should have stood firm on where the Republicans uh, stood and said, no, 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 we're not going to we're not going to do. These are the cuts that we agreed to and we're not backing down. And if that meant the government was shut down for a couple of days or or a week, um, so be it. We would have we would have paid all our military. We would have paid everybody and it would have been and it would have come out okay. And uh, we'll see what happens at the end of the at the end of the month when uh, at the end of next month when uh, this thing comes up for uh, for the showdown. And we'll see if if Mike Johnson can stand strong and the Republicans can back him up. So anyway, I'm all out of time for this episode of the main event. Those are my thoughts and welcome to them. Thanks for listening to the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman and I'll be back again with you next week.